Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Fantastic. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Ha, ah, there we go. Thank you for that worship, Tiro. That was really cool. Huh? I got like a, a whole monkey to hand out here tonight. <laughs> Crystal zapped it. I've always told the band. Um, so we, we used to, before we got all advanced and got rechargeable batteries, we used to have non-rechargeable batteries. And I think we've been using rechargeable batteries for about 10 years. I still have about four buckets of non-rechargeable batteries, used non-rechargeable batteries up in the office because we used large volumes, especially when we were a little bit of a bigger church. We'd use, often have four or five vocalists at a service, five services. These microphones use a lot of batteries. We just used a lot of batteries. So we've got bucket loads full of batteries. And I always used to, to say to the band that if they misbehave on stage in various ways, which if you're not in the worship team, you'd never even know they were doing. I would throw them, or I would throw a 9-volt battery at them and hit them on their head. But now I've got chocolates to do it with, which is a better idea. Uh, I don't have to feel bad throwing chocolates at people. I always sort of withheld. Once or twice, I picked up the 9-volt, and I was like, should I or shouldn't I? You know? But what if I miss? What if I'm aiming for John and I hit Tiro? You know? Then it, it wouldn't work so well. But it really is great being with everyone here. Who invited, whether they came or not, is unimportant. Who invited someone to church this evening? Huh? Oh, sorry. I must throw with my right hand. It'll, hopefully it goes better. Okay. Got along. Who invited someone to small group this month, whether they came or not? You invited someone new to small group. You guys at the back as well? Did you invite someone? Ah, there we go. Ah, we're going to learn to celebrate these things. Who got screws put in their ankle this month? One, two, three. Uh, I get one of each. Okay. Awesome. Who lost their passport this month? Ah. Not, not a good idea to lose your passport when you're almost an illegal immigrant. Uh, um, we, we're glad at number 99 he found it. But we're really glad that you are here. It's Pentecost today. Pentecost is a quick little Bible school here. It comes from a Greek word, which I'm not going to try and pronounce at all. But it means 50th, 50th day. 50th. Pentecost is the 50th day after Passover, Passover is the feast where Jesus was then crucified. 50 days later, so it's 7 times 7 plus 1, which is just really important numbers in sort of Hebrew culture because 7 is perfect. 7 times 7 is perfection. Every 50th year would be a year of Jubilee. So this is the feast of Jubilees representing all of those things. And it is the day in which we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is one of the highlights of the Christian calendar because it's the understanding, under with the New Testament understanding, that 
Pentecost is the day in which the church of Jesus was launched. That's the day in which church, not community as such, but in which Jesus breathed upon his church and he says, okay, go. And so I want us to start there a little bit. Who wasn't here last week? You don't get chocolates for that. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> but last week we looked a little bit at this idea of God's purpose and God's plan. We started speaking about the fact what we've been speaking about largely this whole year is that the Lord has a plan. And He is inviting us to step into His love and into His purpose. Last week we touched a little bit on the idea that we can only truly enter into the purpose that God has for us when we begin to enter into His purpose. It's only once we embrace His goal, His mission, that our mission becomes clear. And so we spoke about this idea of the Missio Dei, which once again is a fancy theological term just because it's from Latin. If you were Latin, this is just ordinary words. You know, it's like, I don't know if you guys have ever looked at the Latin words, the Latin names. We use these big Latin words to describe animals. Have you guys noticed that? And then if you kind of get a Latin dictionary, and my dad, you, my dad studied law as an advocate, my granddad studied law, he was a judge, so we have kind of these big Latin lexicons. And then you go, look up, what do these things mean? And it's like big, brownie, hairy thing. <laughs> And kind of we give it this big name, kind of, and we think, whoa, it's just intimidating. And that's literally just, they gave it just these Latin names. So, Missio Dei, literally just, literally just Missio, obviously mission, we get the English word from that, that's easy. Dei is the Latin word for God. Missio Dei, the mission of God. It's not a terminology that we find in Scripture as such, but it's an understanding that we see throughout Scripture. An understanding that God is a God of mission. God is a God of sending. God is a God of reaching towards. The Mishio Day is kind of as David Bosch summarizes here in his book. And he says, mission is thereby seen as a movement from God to the world. The church is viewed as an instrument for that mission. There is church because there is mission, not vice versa. There is church because there is mission. We as church, we exist because there is mission. John Piper takes us a step forward and he says, mission exists because worship doesn't. I love that. Mission exists because worship doesn't. You see, if every person on the planet was engaged in worship, obviously worship of the most high worship of Jesus, there would be no need for mission. Mission exists because worship doesn't. So worship is the end goal of mission. Worship is also expressed through mission. And what the Missio's day reminds us is that the church, or as Henny, I think he was here recently, he phrased it, it's not that God has a mission for his church. God has a church for his mission. God has a mission to send, and he has been sending. And we looked last week very briefly, we touched on someone like Isaiah. God comes to Isaiah, and he has, Isaiah has this amazing moment with God. And God says, who will go for us? Who will we send? And Isaiah is putting up his hand. He's, here I am. Send me. And that's always been God's heart, God's purpose. Obviously, that finds fulfillment in Jesus being sent. So to participate in mission is to participate in the movement of God's love toward 
people since God is a fountain of sending love. I love that phrase. God, this should be a song. God is a fountain of sending love. It springs up out of him. It's its nature. It's an attribute of who God is. Well, one of the correct answers, if someone was to ask you, who is God? One of the correct answers would be God is ascending God. That's who God is. It's in his nature. He's always been sending. And so the, the Mishio day and the Mishio Ecclesia, Ecclesia is the Greek word for, for church, gathering. It's one of my favorite words in all of Scripture because of where it comes from. I love church because I love gathering. And, you know, it could also be translated community. That's also an accurate translation. Often in church, you guys have heard me say this, church world, we talk about church community. And I look at that, I'm like, no, it's not church community. That's like saying I'm drinking coffee, coffee, or tea, tea, or chocolate, chocolate. You know, what, what flavor is your hot chocolate? Well, it's hot chocolate, chocolate, chocolate or chocolate or whatever. No, it doesn't make sense. The word originally... Or, already has that implication within it. Ecclesia church is community. But the specific reference that Ecclesia would have for Greek people was uh, within the Greek um, environment, specifically within the Roman environment. And it's just Bible history is, is all history, I guess, is really interesting. Um, so the people spoke Greek within the area around which um, all of this was written, that was sort of the, the language, the vernacular is the word, the language of the people that they spoke. But they were living under Rome. So they weren't speaking Latin, although when Jesus was hung on the cross, he, does anybody know, there was written above him, he is the Son of God, in three different languages. Does anybody know what languages they were? I'll give you a clue, English wasn't one of them. Greek is one, Yes. Greek, there we go, okay? <laughs> Greek, Hebrew, I don't think it was Aramaic, I gave you a clue just now, Latin, I could be wrong, then he must give me the chocolate back, but I think it's in Latin, might have been Aramaic, Aramaic was a form of Greek, might have been not normal Greek, it might have been Aramaic, so Aramaic was sort of a, a derivative of Greek and, and Hebrew and sort of a, a mixture of the two. Um, so Latin was sort of the, the language of the day, the language that everyone, sp not everyone spoke. It was the official language, but people, everyone spoke Greek. Greek was, if you went somewhere and you spoke Greek, everyone would understand you a little bit, I guess, like English in large parts of the world today. Um, how did I get onto that? So everyone spoke Greek. So the wording that was used... The New Testament was written in Greek, even though Jesus would have spoken in Aramaic, it was written down in Greek. And so um, the word that's used for church is the word ecclesia, which in the Roman environment people would have understood. If you were a citizen over 18 years of age, and unfortunately in those times male, then you were part of the ecclesia. And so what would happen is ecclesia would gather to make important decisions. And so whenever the ecclesia gathers, there would be slaves who weren't allowed to be part of the ecclesia. They would go around with whips, whips that had been dipped in paint. And they would go around and they would whip everyone who was part of the ecclesia who wasn't at the gathering of the ecclesia. And so this is the word that Jesus uses when he references that I will build my church. Imagine tonight if we could send people around with whips 
whipping everyone who's not in church. I, a twisted part of me likes that idea. Tomorrow morning when you go to class, you can see or you go to work, you see everybody with whip, painted whip marks all over their clothes and you know you should shun them because they did not bring their contribution to the community. Great discussion in small group around that. Anyway, so the mission of Ecclesia, the mission of the church. So we've got the mission of the church and we've got the mission of God. One of the mistakes we make is to separate the mission of the church from the mission of God. And so when we embrace the mission of God, we understand that the mission of the church finds expression because there's an understanding of the mission of God. And the mission of God is to send towards redemption. Tim, um, Tim Tennant phrases it this way. He says the mission of God is God's redemptive, historical initiative on behalf of His creation. So understanding our mission, I said last week, starts with understanding God's mission. In the same way, embracing our mission, embracing my mission, starts with embracing God's mission. And so with all of that, just a little bit of an introduction and a recap from last week, we have this God, this sending God. This God who is all about going. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, just before Pentecost, He comes and He gives this weird instruction. Weird because of who He is. Weird because He is a sending God. He, he calls these people, the, the disciples we call them, it's a little bit of a misnomer at times. Disciple means one who is disciplined, one who is a student. So there were many disciples in the time of Jesus. You would be a disciple of a teacher. Every teacher would have his group of disciples. And Scripture speaks about the three, Peter, James, and John, as his disciples. It speaks about the twelve, who we typically think of as the disciples. It calls them the disciples. It speaks about the seventy their gathering together calls them disciples. And then it speaks about the multitudes as disciples. So there were multitudes of disciples, and it was the same word that was used to refer to all of them in different groups. But only 12 were called the apostles. And those are typically the 12 that we would call the disciples. Later on in Scripture, we read about some more apostles. Can anyone think of an apostle who wasn't one of the original 12? That was Ty. You've already got, someone said this side. Have you got chocolate already today? No, from, from, this, from this fountain of love. You got because it was your birthday or something. Okay. There we go. See, you don't have because you don't ask. Okay. He has because he asks. And so, Paul as an example, the obvious example who wasn't one of the original 12. So it wasn't only the 12 who were apostles, but they were the first 12. What does apostle mean? Apostle isn't quite a servant, although apostle would need to be a servant too. Sorry? Builder, no. Do I get to keep this chocolate? Butter biscuit in fine cocoa cream. That sounds nice, doesn't it? There we go. Someone liked the chocolate. Okay. That was left-handed, backhand as well, eh? An apostle is a saint one, a messenger. And so these were, once again, why are they apostles? Why are they saint ones? Because their God has a mission. What is God's mission? God's mission is to send. And so he sends the apostles. And this is whom he is speaking to. He's speaking to this group. 
once he was eating with them and he commanded them, I'm going to paraphrase just a moment. He says, do not leave Jerusalem. What's he saying? Don't go. Don't go. He's been saying throughout their life with him, go, 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 go. I'm sending you out. The word sending, he uses so often. I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. He says, I'm sending you into every city he himself was about to go. He says, go, go, go. That's sort of the, the operative word someone once said, two-thirds of God is go. God is sending, going, going, going. That's his instruction all the time. And then he comes and he says to them, don't go. Don't go. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. So he says, don't go, not because you're not sent, but because you're not ready. You've gone through the best Bible school anyone could ever imagine. I think if I could go back in time, I would love to enroll into three years of Bible school at the feet of Jesus. Walking with Him, living with Him, experiencing Him, hearing Him preach sermons, going home the afternoon with Him, having small group with Him, unpacking the sermon, discussing it, explaining it to us, training. Jesus, in the natural, these guys have been fully equipped by Jesus. Jesus has imparted everything He has in the natural into them. The Bible knowledge that they need, they've got. They understand what ministry looks like. They understand what Jesus-focused ministry is about. They understand, how am I going to preach? How am I, I mean, if you've been watching Jesus for three years, you know how to interact with people the way Jesus did it. They, in the natural, they're ready. Except the Holy Spirit, or rather Jesus, looks at them and says, don't go, because you're not yet ready. That which you have to give is not what people need. What you've got might be nice, it may be great, you may be able to give good speeches, you may be able to give good kind of intellect, maybe even good Bible teaching, help people understand some things, but that's not what's going to set people free. That's not what's going to deliver people, that's not what's going to heal people, that's not what's going to redeem people. That's not what a scripture later on says is going to turn this world upside down. Wait, you're not ready. When will you be ready? When the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then, if I can paraphrase, you will be ready. Then you will be ready. You'll be ready when you go. And that reminds me, let's do it right now before I forget. We need to be praying and laying hands on some people. And this kind of is a I wanted to do it at the beginning of the service, but we can do it now. We're going through a process in church just where we're taking time and laying hands on and praying for everyone who's in some capacity stepping out to what God's called them to do. A couple of weeks ago, we prayed for all of those who are ministering at our inner city ministries and who are ministering sort of to the group in Linwood and the group in the inner city at the shelter. Last week, we took time and we prayed for all of our small group facilitators and everyone who's put their hand up to the plow there and said, Yes, Lord, I'm committed to making disciples. Today, we're one this morning as well. We're wanting to pray for anybody here who is serving in some way in our Sunday service teams. 
whether you're in the band, whether you're making coffee, whether you're behind the sound desk, if you're here this morning and we've already prayed for you, then you can become a prayer. But we want to just lay hands and pray with. So I want to ask if you're here and you are currently enrolled and actively serving in one of our service teams, don't you want to stand up, please? Oh, she's pregnant. She can have two. Great stuff. I'm going to ask all of those who are not standing, if you can just, first I'm going to ask why not. I'm kidding. Secondly, you don't definitely don't get chocolates. No, I'm, that's not real. True at all. We love you. We celebrate you. It's amazing that you are here because we need someone to pray for everyone who is standing. So if we can maybe just move towards them, maybe just see if there's somebody close by. The great thing is I might be theologically wrong here. I don't know. Out on a limb. Open to be corrected. Scripture doesn't speak about the laying on of hand. It speaks about the laying on of hands. So we can do two at a time. Okay, and we might need to do that this evening. So if we can move around and find somebody who is standing, and let's just lay hands on them. We're going to take a moment and just commit them to the Lord. See, one of the reasons, as you guys are moving around, one of the reasons we're doing that is because we're not a church. We don't want to be a church. You guys need to be moving around, moving up to people. We're not going to be a church that just moves in our own intellect, our own ability, our own strength. We're wanting to be a church empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, whether I'm greeting someone at the door, whether I'm standing up in a worship team, whether I'm doing the announcements, whether I'm making coffee, we want to be led by the Spirit of the living God. I mean, is there anybody who is standing up as a, a servant in church to be prayed for who does not have someone praying for you? Just raise your hand so we can see where you are. We don't want to miss anyone. Okay. Everyone got someone praying with them and for them. Let's take a moment and just speak, just favor and blessing and grace. Jesus, thank you this evening, Lord, for the power of your Spirit, Lord. Thank you that right now as we lay hands on these folk, we commit them in their ministry to you, Lord. Lord, we understand that as precious as they are as humans, as beautiful as they are, Lord, because you have made them so, God. Lord, we understand that what they have to give is not enough. It's only what you place within them that will feed and nourish and sustain and allow us to turn this world upside down. So right now, God, we just bless them. We commit them to you, Lord God. God, we commit their ministry, whichever ministry they're in. We commit it to you. And we declare by faith it will be spirit-filled ministry in Jesus' name. As you're standing around them, let's just pray over them and speak God's grace, His commitment, His impartation into them and over them as we're praying for them this evening. So Jesus, we just commit them to you, Lord. We commit every moment of their ministry, Lord. God, that it would be ministry that touches lives in Jesus' name. It would be spirit-inspired, spirit-infused, spirit-strengthened ministry, Lord God. 
Lord, smiling at people at the door and waving at them and making people feel welcome, Lord. Making coffee, Jesus, being part of, of the band as they led us so gloriously this evening, serving behind the sign desk and the computer and the projection at the back. Whatever we do, God, may it bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've already got a chocolate. Don't be greedy, Shinky. And so one of the reasons we do what we did now is because just like the early apostles, as gifted as they may have been in the natural, as strained as they were, they weren't ready. See, we become ready when the Holy Spirit empowers us to go. The Old Testament, we, some of us may have missed this. The Old Testament, there were a bunch of people who explicitly, Scripture says, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Anyone think of some examples? David, there we go. David was filled, Cornelius is in the New Testament, I think, Edna. In the Old Testament, we, Samson, Samson was filled with the Spirit. That's one of the reasons he could do all of those powerful things. It wasn't because he was this big, bulky guy. He was just filled with the Spirit. Until at one stage, he wakes up and the Spirit has departed from him. And Samson did not know it. One of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. Anyone else? Sorry? Saul, how much chocolate do you want? <laughs> Elijah, okay, last one. There were a number of people who were filled with the Spirit. In the Old Testament, it, it seemed to be some indication of God's grace and favor upon them. It was a select few. At one stage, Moses, who was filled with the Spirit, the whole bunch of other people are prophesying and 70 other, I think it was, and everyone else says, well, why are they all prophesying? And Moses, I wish that all the people of God, see, Moses always had this heart because he understood that was the heart of God. But in the Old Testament, it was only selected, in a sense, special people. The irony is that all of them still failed. All of them, in some way, still missed God's purpose. Even King David, the man of the God's own heart, murdered and committed adultery, possibly rape as well. And so the very best of the best always fell short. And then at the end of the Old Testament, we read this promise in the book of Joel. God says he's going to restore, he's going to kind of bring nations back, etc., etc. Then after doing all of those things, I will pour my spirit out upon all people. This is the first time in all of Scripture where this idea of the Spirit for everybody is mentioned. Up to now, it wasn't a thought. The Spirit was only for the select few people, almost whom God had handpicked. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. This is written to a community at a time when women were almost second-grade citizens. It says, your sons and daughters, men and women. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Young and old, male and female, 
In those days, I will even pour out my spirit, or pour my spirit even on servants, on slaves, men and women alike. And I will cause wonders in the heaven and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and terrible day the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion and Jerusalem will escape or escape from judgment, just as the Lord has said. These will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. And so we see in this passage here a, a couple of things that are important. Firstly is that the Holy Spirit will be poured on everyone. Secondly is that the Holy Spirit will not be placed only on those of significant stature or holiness or have achieved something. It's for everyone. Even the lowest of the low, even on the servants, even on the female servants. And then very importantly, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The fancy word for this is the democratization of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit given in a democratic sense to everybody because democracy is, the word means everyone. It's kind of inherent what the word means. You know, democracy is meant to be government of the people, by the people, for the people. So it's the democratization of the Spirit. The Spirit given to everyone is intimately connected to salvation. I'm going to pour out my Spirit and then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The outpouring of the Spirit and God's mission are tied together. So two very important things that I want us to look at this evening. And then we're going to pray for some people as we look at the Holy Spirit. First one is at the start of the book of Ephesians, sort of the introduction of the book. Ephesians is a really cool book. I'd encourage you to read it. If you haven't yet, it's sort of nicely divided into two sections. Six chapters. The first three chapters in the book of Ephesians. So it's the Apostle Paul who we spoke about earlier. He's writing to a church, guess where the church is in? Ephesus. Right. You've got way too many chocolates there, Birgit. You should share. Right. So he's writing to the believers, this church, this community, this ecclesia in Ephesus. And they are not Jewish people. They don't come from Jewish heritage, Jewish bloodline. They haven't gone through all the rights of Jewish people. They haven't grown up Jewish. They, that's not them. They're not Jewish people. They're Ephesians. And so Paul writes to them, and the first three chapters are all about the fact that you are as much a part of the body of Christ as anybody else. He uses this phrase, which we hear often, but it's from Ephesians chapter 3, fellow citizens of the household of God. Fellow citizens, you are as much part of the body of Christ as anybody else. And then the second half of Ephesians, the first half of Ephesians is you are part of the body of Christ. The second part of Ephesians is because you're part of the body of Christ, this is how you should conduct yourself. Often we get that the wrong way around, don't we? We say, you should conduct yourself this way. That makes you part of the body of Christ. Paul says it doesn't work like that. He says you are part of the body of Christ. Because you're part of the body of Christ, this is how we conduct ourselves within the household of God. He almost literally uses those words. 
And so he's writing to them, and right at the start of this book, he says, and now you Gentiles, so Gentiles is everybody but Jews. You Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. God has placed his label on you, his barcode, you know, his QR code, whatever. He's stuck it on you. He's identified you as his. How did he do it? Because he gave you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. When did he promise it? He promised it in Joel chapter 2. The Spirit is God's guarantee. The word guarantee there is the Greek word arabon. Arabon, does anybody know kind of what a modern day equivalent of that's Birgit, you're excluded. You've had too much chocolate already. Anyone know what the word Arabon? We don't have too many engaged people here. You, you wanted to Google that quickly, Shingi. Ah. Do, you have a, do you have an engagement ring? What I say? Something, what I say something happened quickly. Uh, is that the engaged in German on the right hand? And so a wedding ring or specifically an engagement ring. You remember that day, Steph, who else is married here? Edna and Megan when your now husband proposed to you, gave you a ring. What was that ring? Was that ring the wedding? Was that ring the marriage? Are we married now because we got the ring? No. No, it's a symbol of that which is to come. It's a promise of which lies ahead. It's an arabon, a down payment, a deposit, a guarantee, as this translation has it here. The Spirit is God's guarantee. It's His engagement ring that He will give us the inheritance He promised. So we receive the Holy Spirit in this life as a promise of that which is to come in eternal life. And that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. And so what we see is a complete turnaround from in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we sort of saw those who have the Spirit as being lifted high, as being esteemed. They were the judges. They were the kings. They were the prophets. They were the ones to be esteemed. God comes and He flips that around and He says, I don't give you the Spirit because you are worthy. I give you the Spirit because I make you worthy. You become worthy by me giving you your spirit, my spirit. Can you imagine any greater sign of worth? So your idol, the person in, world, in this world who you have the most respect for, non-family member, most respect person. That person you hear is coming to Pretoria. Backstreet Boys were here recently, yeah? Whose idol is Backstreet Boys. You don't get a chocolate for that. Okay. So Backstreet Boys, whoever, they're coming to Pretoria. Your, your guy, your hero, the, like the wow person in your life is coming to Pretoria. And somehow you get an invitation to them. And they say, yes, I'm going to come and stay at your house. I'm going to come and dwell with you. There's no greater form of acceptance, of affirmation, 
than that. Now, I'm not going to go and stay in the hotel. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to dwell with you. And here we have the God who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. There's a couple of hundred bazillion light years right there. Shoop. God. He says, I'm going to come and live with you, in you. You see, there's no greater affirmation that we are beloved and accepted by God than God saying, I'm going to come and make my home in you. So the first thing the Holy Spirit establishes within us is an identity. Not an identity of the world. You see, I am not what I do. I'm not what I like. I'm not what I'm interested in. I'm not how clever or how not academic I am. I'm not as sporty or as not sporty as I am. I'm not as tall or not tall as I am. My physical build is not me. That doesn't define me. What defines me is I've received a label. I've received a stamp, a stamp of approval, a stamp of identification. Scripture says he identified you as his own. Who am I? Well, I am first and foremost, before anything else, a child of the living God. That's who I am. I'm his son. And the Holy Spirit comes and makes that real in our lives. That's one of the reasons why the encounter series for us is so important. It's actual name when we sort of started rolling it out, but it becomes a little bit long, and so it dropped off. Still find it in some of the literature is the Spirit Encounter series. You see, it's all designed with one thing in mind for us to have encounters to the power of the Spirit. Encounters with Jesus, encounters with His grace, encounters with the cross, encounters of healing and restoration. That's what the Spirit Encounter Series is all about. So we present the Encounter Series not just as a nice idea. We present it because we want people to grow in their identity as sons and daughters of Christ to receive that label, to have it plastered all over me, to have when the world, you want to laugh at me, you can cry at me, you can sing at me, you can shout at me. I'm a son of God. I love seeing children grow up in whole, loving homes. Some of us may come from environments like that, some of us may not. I like to think my daughters are growing up in that environment. I love seeing the confidence that they have. The wholeness. that It doesn't matter what somebody else out there might say. They might not like it. It might upset them for half a day. It's not going to change their identity. They know who they are. Who are they? They are loved by their parents. They know whatever happens out there at school tomorrow morning. Whatever they say or don't say. Whatever the mark says or doesn't say. Whatever the friend says. Whatever happens at the sports game. When they come home, they are embraced and they are loved. God wants us to know that in Him. To an extent that goes beyond anything we can experience in this earth. So we don't just present the encounter series because we got bored and we got nothing to do. We do it because as a church we've been called. We've been called to reach nations and generations, to make disciples, to raise up leaders, to plant churches out of that. That's what we've been called to do. So if you're here this evening, and I say this with love and with grace and with a lot of honesty, if you haven't attended the Encounter Series, it's start on Wednesday. 
Start because God is going to take you on a journey. Perhaps you've discovered some of those things. Perhaps He's established some of that in your life already. But perhaps in some areas where He hasn't yet. Areas where you're going to grow in encounters with the Holy Spirit. That's why we invite people to come and do it. That's why we put so much energy into it. And then the B part, if you're part of this church embrace, that's what we do. We grow and we disciple people. One of the ways in which we do it is in the encounters. So go and say, I'm going to, as far as popular, I'm going to find a way to serve, maybe not at every single encounter, every single week. I don't think that's realistic to expect from anybody or healthy. But I'm going to take this encounter. I'm going to do, every time there's a home encounter, I'm going to make sure I'm available to be part of that because I want to see people experiencing grace. Why? Because that's what we do. I'm tapping into the mission of God for the people around me. I want to be there. I want to be a facilitator. I want other people to experience the grace that I could have experienced in that ministry. That's what we do. That's who we are. We're disciple-making people. We're going to embrace that more and more. We're going to grow in that more and more. We're going to re-establish, re-own that purpose. This year, God's been speaking to us over and over again about stepping into His love and stepping into His purpose. See, this identity thing is about His love for us. He draws us into His love. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does, is what we spoke about, is He empowers us to go. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, a passage that all of us have heard somewhere in our lives, I think, sitting here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Remember, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples just, just after he said to him, don't go. They're like all excited. We're going to go. Jesus, no, don't go. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you receive the Holy Spirit. That was kind of verses 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. I once heard someone say, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a witness. The only question is, are you a good witness or a bad witness? What are you demonstrating to a world out there through your speech and through your conduct? Am I a witness of grace and love and hope? Or am I a witness of despondency and brokenness and, and hurt? Now we've, until we've come to that place where we've found healing and wholeness in Christ, it's very hard for us to be witnesses of the healing and the wholeness in Christ. This morning, Sean shared a testimony. I don't think he'd mind me sharing it. He's a bodybuilder, and he's been in bodybuilding for a while, and we've prayed over the years a couple of times. And one of the things in his heart that's always wanted to be there is he enjoys the sport. He wants to enjoy the, do the sport because kind of it's an outlet for him of some of his work stress, etc., and he just enjoys it. We all have our, our different sports or different hobbies, different things that we do. And he just, he found it in, in bodybuilding. And, but he said all along, it, he wants to use it as a witness for Christ. You see, he's at this back of his heart, not at the back, at the forefront, but underpinning everything is an embracing of the Missio Dei, the mission of God. So last week he was at a big um, Africa, the sort of the big pan-African bodybuilding competition for the year where he did reasonably well and managed to 
qualified to go to the European one, and he's really excited about that because it's the first time that he's been able to compete internationally. And afterwards, they're two really big guys. He's in the super heavyweight division, and he says, when you step off that stage, there's only one thing you're thinking about, food. Because you've been dieting for weeks and months to get into pristine condition and kind of towards the end they're cutting so they're not drinking water. It's kind of they want their muscles and everything to pop. So they go through like a whole bunch of very, very unpleasant eating rituals. Just carrots and celery and I don't know what else. Um, but anyway, he says when you get off that stage, you're hungry. And he packed himself some food for afterwards because he knows he's going to be hungry. And then the big guy who won his competition, he came third, and the guy who won, he's there, and they start talking, and Sean's kind of, he's taking out his chicken and his sour bread, and he's about to start eating this, and you realizing the two other guys that he started a conversation with, they've also just stepped off the stage. They didn't bring food. One guy's a Russian guy. They start talking, and he says, come sit, let's eat. I'm gonna, I want to share the little bit that I've got, and he says it's like his five loaves of bread moment two fish. He's got to feed these 320 kilogram plus people with his little bit of food that he's got. Get into a conversation and not about bodybuilding, about life. And the one Russian, the, the Russian guy looks at him and says, so you're Christian. Sean never said a word about it, but just his conduct. This man understood there was something different. And Sean was able to share the gospel with him. Got a message this morning. The two guys in the conversation found churches close to where they're staying. This morning went to the church for the first time in their lives. Two different people in different environments. Just someone who is willing. We should give Sean a chocolate. I'll, I'll eat his chocolate for him. He doesn't want chocolate because he's got a big competition in Europe coming up. <laughs> but just this idea, this heart that the Spirit comes. He, I'm a witness for Jesus everywhere I go. Henny from Johannesburg has got this good phrase. He says, live everywhere as if God sent you there. Wherever we go, let's live as if God has sent us there. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, which is the city where they were. In Judea, which is the province around the city where they were. Samaria, which is the neighboring promise and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit comes. and On this day of Pentecost, we celebrate the Spirit. We celebrate that He comes and He is the guarantee, the down payment. He's the promise that we are God's. Scripture says the Spirit, speaking about the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit. We each have a spirit that we are children of God. You're a child of God. That's the first thing the Holy Spirit comes and He deposits within us. And then He empowers us to step out. He empowers us as a church to step out, as individuals to step out. I'm praying, I'm putting my faith out. I want to invite you to join with me, to put our faith out, to say, God, we want to not have enough chairs for the people who want to come and praise you in this room, who are being discipled, who are growing. Because quick little, sometimes logic gets in the way, but let me just throw this out there. If we were to fill this room with people hungry for Jesus, to grow in Christ and to be discipled, who's going to disciple them? You are. Isn't that a privilege? Isn't that a prayer we should be praying? Jesus said, go and make disciples. Then he said, wait, don't go yet. 
I'm going to send you the Spirit. Then you go. Pentecost was the day when the church was launched, when the Spirit was released upon 120 people gathered together in a small upper room praying, and they come out of there, and the first day, 3,000 people decide to put their faith in Jesus. That, for me, is the greatest testimony of the change that the Holy Spirit brings. We've got a guy named Simon. Jesus calls him Peter. Everybody else calls him Simon. Simon means read. Peter means we said that first. Tiro claimed it. You can, you can arm wrestle with him later. Tiro's catching is as good as my throwing. <laughs> Peter means rock. Simon, he's this reed. He's washed like this all the time. Simon is, <laughs> Simon says, Gigi, Simon says, Simon says, stand up. Simon says, sit down. No, okay. Simon, <laughs> Simon is around Jesus. Jesus is, you guys are going to all desert me tonight. Simon is, I'm never going to desert. I will be with you. Even if I have to die, Jesus, I promise I will always be with you. Always. Jesus, that's me. I'm your guy. I'm with you. Jesus gets arrested. Simon, gone. Jesus like, yeah, thought so. A servant girl, probably like a 13, 14, little teenage girl, comes to Simon and says, you speak funny. You got an accent like the Jesus guy. Do you know him? Someone's like, huh? Me? Accent? Jesus? Who? Where? Never heard of him. Runs away. A servant girl. He can't even speak to a servant girl and say, I'm with that guy. Fifty days later, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. He walks out of a room. He stands in front of a whole city. And he says, This Jesus, whom you crucified, I proclaim to you. 3,000 people respond to his message that day. If that isn't a supernatural transformation of somebody, I don't know what is. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Some of us are sitting here saying, I can't. I know you can't. Neither could Peter, Simon, whatever you want to call him. He couldn't. That's why Jesus said, don't do anything because you can't. Simon, I know you. Simon was probably the guy, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm going to go. Jesus like, no, Simon, you especially sit down. Wait. The Holy Spirit comes. Simon is transformed. So if you're sitting here and you're saying, but wait, 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 wait. this room full of people and I have to disciple them, there's no ways I can do that. You are 100% wrong, right? And 100% wrong at the same time. You can't. There's no ways you can. There's no ways I can. But you, full of the Holy Spirit, you can. You, empowered by the Spirit, you can. You led by the Spirit, you can. You identified by the Spirit, you can. And so this evening, I'd love to pray with you. If you're here this evening, and perhaps you're struggling with this thing of identity, of just who am I? People say stuff to me, it throws me. I don't, I'm not rooted and grounded that I am a son or a daughter of Christ. And when people come and ask me difficult questions, it kind of it throws me. You know, God's okay with that. Probably preach about this re- in some stage. God is okay. I, I've just received this recently. God is okay when our will is different to His will. He doesn't have a problem with that. Jesus was at the Garden of Gethsemane, and His will was different to the Father's will. The Father didn't say, oh, you bad son. Oh, I should have sent the other son. There's no other son. Okay, good point. 
He didn't get upset with Jesus. Jesus wrestled through it to the point where he was okay. But I laid down my will. God doesn't mind if there is another will that jumps up from time to time. He just wants us to bring it to him and wrestle with him until we're able to lay it down. And then we say, okay, now your will, Father. Maybe you're here and this identity thing is something that you're struggling with. We want to pray with you. Genuinely, we want to pray with you. We want to see God establish that within you. Maybe you're here and this idea of the mission of God, you've never embraced it. It's my mission and my purpose. And maybe if somewhere along the lines I can do something for Jesus, that would be great. But this evening, God's wanting to challenge you to say, make my goal your goal. I think he says somewhere in Matthew 6, like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things are going to be added to you. Tonight, if you're wanting to say yes, maybe for the first time, maybe as a renewal, Jesus, I'm making your mission my mission. The mission of Philip is becoming the mission of God. I'm taking the mission of God and I'm taking Philip's other mission statements and I'm wiping them away and I'm replacing them, putting above them the mission of God. First and foremost, that's my life. I want to live for that. And Holy Spirit, would you empower me to that? That's stirring in your heart. We want to pray with you too. So I'm going to ask us to stand and I'm going to pray for us. And then if... You want to respond to any of those two. You guys can come forward so long. If you want to respond either on the identity side or the mission of God's side, we want to pray with you. We want to invite you to come forward. And some of the rest of us, I'm going to go sit down and rest my leg, but some of the rest of us are going to come around and we're going to pray with you. Trust God, speak grace into you and over you. Let's stand together. Jesus, thank you. For Pentecost. Thank you that today we celebrate Pentecost, Lord. Lord, it's a joy because you gave us the most precious gift when you sent your Son and then you sent your Spirit because you're ascending God. This great gift that we receive. Tonight, we just want to say yes again to you, Spirit. Spirit, come and reveal Jesus to us. Spirit, come and work in our hearts. Spirit, Come and be the Holy Spirit. We honor you. We celebrate you. We say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You're welcome in this room. You're welcome in this church, in this community, Lord. But you're welcome in these hearts and in this life. You are welcome here. We want to celebrate you. We want to receive you. So we bring, Lord, our our identity, weakness, lack of a better term before you, Lord. We say, Holy Spirit, come and reveal to us what it means to be children of the Most High God. In the same way, Jesus, tonight we say yes to your mission, Lord. Lord, we lay down our mission. For a moment, we step away from our mission, Lord. We lay all of that down and we just want to Just fix our eyes upon your mission. And then we trust that somehow, Lord God, you would cause our mission to fall in line with your mission. In Jesus' name. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Tonight, if that's you, 
You want someone to pray with you in one of those two areas. Don't you want to step forward? We're going to take a moment and lay hands on you and, and pray with you. If you need the Holy Spirit to come and establish, reestablish something in your identity. Or you wanting to say just yes for the first time, maybe, or maybe for the 10th, 20th, 30th time. Just, Jesus, your mission. I'm making it my mission, Lord. Tonight, if that's you in one of those two, don't you just want to step forward? Are we going to pray with you? I'm going to lay hands on you. We want to trust God for a moment, an encounter with the Spirit. Thank you, Shinky. Anyone else? You want to just put Jesus up front again? Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria. Pretoria.